0: You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fencewater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama on your Thursday afternoon, joined by Lance
2: Dahl. Jaws in the house with us on a Thursday. Jaws has been a little bit. I'm happy to have you back in the studio, my man. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. I love being on the show. Love what you guys do. It's fun to be here.
1: The phone number to call 334 321 1390 Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi fitzwater And find Jaws on Twitter at former intern jaws. Love the handle, my man. Promotions in the world, a great thing. Good to have you back on the show, and let's open up today's show where we ended yesterday's show. I said that we would talk about this more. We really only got to talk about it for exactly a minute as we were headed out of here. Auburn basketball, once again, the other day, losing to Alabama 70-58, to and we're not going to harp on the loss anymore. That's in the books. Auburn only has one game left this season, and it's on Saturday against Mississippi State. I already want to start wrapping up this year, as do probably a lot of Armor basketball fans. They want to put this one in the rearview mirror and begin thinking about what could be the glory days coming up in the future with Jabari Smith and Trey Alexander coming to the Plains and hopefully everybody coming back. Wink, wink, Sharif Cooper. But let's talk about this season and begin to wrap it up a little bit. Did this team improve this year? We talked about this briefly. Did this team take steps forward as an overall unit? rather than just individuals.
3: I mean, I think it improved in terms of just individuals. I don't know if the team itself improved any. And we mm-hmm. hit on that yesterday. It feels more like you just have guys that improved a little bit individually over the course of the year, team itself not so much, and I don't really I don't want to put that on the coaching staff or even the players for themselves for not improving as a team because how often did they really get to play as a team at full strength? Right. I mean, this this team really didn't get to play as a cohesive unit because they were always He had guys in and out of the lineup with injuries or, you know, not being, you know, deemed eligible by the NCAA with Shreve Cooper's case. And then on top of that, it was just a revolving door of what lineup worked when those guys came out. They were still, I mean, you saw Jamal Johnson started, you know, start playing point guard at the end of the year. You didn't see that all year long. So there was never really consistency with this team. And I think that is, that's a key attribute to why this team didn't improve as a team. But you did see players get better down the stretch just not in the scope of as a team
2: yeah I think for me whenever I look back on this season the, the one thing that I that will come to mind immediately is chemistry this team never really got in a rhythm uh, due to injuries and also Sharif Cooper not really being able to play uh, this season we saw Powell who was kind of getting into a rhythm at the starting point guard position he got hurt and then it was like oh where, where does Auburn turn as a unit they couldn't really get things figured out then Sharif Cooper comes back it's like oh Auburn's really good then all of a sudden Auburn's not really able to do a whole lot offensively and then Sharif Cooper gets hurt and it's just up and down Jamal Johnson actually we we're talking about this in the locked on Auburn discord the other day it's like Jamal Johnson is the fifth point guard to start for Auburn he's the fifth string point guard when you go down the line there's Sharif Turbo, Powell, Flanagan, Jamal Johnson. So obviously this team has not really had the ability to develop a whole lot.
1: Where's the Simeon Bowers when you need
2: one, right? Where is, where is Sim when you need one, man? But but He's getting ready with war ready, my man. Dude, I'm so hyped for that team. It's gonna be incredible. But as far as like this year's team goes, they're so young. They were so young to begin the season. Obviously, they've got a little bit of experience under their belt. Flanagan, I would expect to be better heading into next season, even though we saw how drastically better he got this year. He was asked to do a lot. I feel like as individuals, guys like him, guys like JT Thor, Dylan Cardwell, they improved as the season went on. As individuals, this team got better, better, like as individuals, but as a team, as a cohesive unit, there was not a lot of chemistry, just not not a lot of team. That's what
1: happens when you... Have a revolving door at point guard. It's right. hard to
2: develop chemistry when you've had
1: so many different lineups. Also, think that affects individual player development trajectory because when you miss significant time, like you did with Sharif Cooper twice this season, this is I'm, I'm counting this time period out with an injury as substantial missed playing time for Sharif Cooper. Mm-hmm. I doubt we see him on Saturday. And I was turning in the direction of that maybe he was going to play on Wednesday or excuse me on Tuesday. But now that Bruce Pearl said that he was nowhere near being ready on Tuesday, Levi, you said this yesterday, why in the world would you push him to come out for the last game of the year that doesn't even really matter? I don't even know if I believe the players when they say that this game matters. I, mean, I don't think it matters.
3: It doesn't. I mean, the grants. Sc- I mean, if you want to go off of, let me just say, my, my old basketball coach when I was in high school, he had a thing to say, like, you never want to go off the court with a miss. And if you're thinking of the entire season – as you practicing or you playing on the basketball court, yeah, you don't want to go off with a loss, but you also don't want to hurt you know, one of the best players that that has been around at this university, especially the best player on the team this year. You don't want to get him hurt even worse.
1: Just because he doesn't play doesn't mean Auburn will lose. I think Mississippi states yeah, the true. team that I would like
3: to play if Sharif Cooper wasn't available. Them or Vanderbilt. Like, I mean, I agree with that. I'd rather them play. I don't what, think
1: I'd like to play Vanderbilt. And my reason for that, I think Vanderbilt has a lot – that you would like offensively yeah. more so than Mississippi State at the moment. I would say I, the
3: same thing. I agree with that, but I'm just saying those are the two teams. Like if you're gonna yeah. have to pick a if you're gonna have to pick a team, I'd play one of those two. I'd
1: like to play Auburn if I was Auburn about Sharif Cooper.
3: A hundred percent. Yeah, I'd rather play myself. I there's just really no reason. It doesn't benefit anybody for Sharif Cooper to come out. His draft stock is pretty solidified. I mean, I don't think one game against Mississippi State is going to move the needle on him where he's at, either up or down for that matter. I mean, he'd have to come out and look abysmal. And even then, I think draft scouts would look at it and go, oh, dude's not 100%. I, I, it just doesn't make sense to try to trot him out in this game for me.
2: I've come around to the conclusion that Shreve Ch- Cooper's ability to, to shoot is not going to kill him in the NBA. Originally, early on, whenever I saw him, I, really? thought, I thought, you know, this is going to be the killer, him not able – his ability to shoot – is going to kill him in the NBA. Do you but, mean that by draft stock or once he's finally in the NBA, you don't think it'll kill him? Once he's finally in the NBA, I don't think it's going to kill him.
1: Oh, I think it's going to stunt him
2: early. I think I think that, that he can get his shot fixed. I believe that, that there are NBA coaches that can fix it. But as far as like as far as what's important for Auburn this Saturday moving forward, you gotta think about like where this these players are at mentally. Like none of these guys are seniors. All of these guys are coming back or transferring. One of the two. This game is irrelevant aside from the fact that you would just want to end on a positive note. So like Levi said, I don't really feel like there's a lot of importance to this game. You know, it's been rescheduled. But if you were going to play a team and you were going to get a win to finish the season, I would pick Mississippi State or Vanderbilt. Or Auburn.
1: Or over Vanderbilt, I would choose Mississippi State. I think this is the ideal team for Auburn to play this weekend. If they want to end the season Levi, as you said, on a life lesson, on a make. If they want to end this year on a make and beat the Bulldogs, I think this is the team to play once again from a matchup perspective. I think Mississippi State's struggling just as much offensively, and their team's there. Auburn's missing two point guards, right? I want to go back to your point about Sharif Cooper to the NBA and whether or not he'll be hurt going to the next level without his jump shot. Sure, there are NBA coaches that can help him with a shot. I think there are coaches at Auburn that can help him with a shot. I'm not advocating for him to return. It'd be awesome if he returned because, well, we all know what's on the line next year if he does return and all the talent that's going to be around him and how good of a player he even was this year. I don't think we saw him tinkering with his jump shot at all this year. No. Because the regular season's not the place to do that. Because sometimes you can break it even more than it already is. And, it, it, and he was just trying for the first couple of games to probably get acclimated to the college game. After that, he only had about five games before, once again, he sidelined by injury. So I don't think we really got to see Sharif Cooper tinker with his jump shot. If he were to return to Oliver next year, I think you see over the offseason, maybe him working hardcore on that jump shot so that he's already got that in his arsenal when he goes to the NBA. Him returning another season, I don't believe will hurt his draft stock. Isaac Okoro obviously was a one-and-done but Chuma Okiki was not, and Chuma Okiki still made it in the lottery as a sophomore. Sharif Cooper's skill set, if he sets college basketball on fire next year with a full season and Almer gets to play in the NCAA tournament and they go far, I believe he will be one of the most attractive guard selections in next year's NBA draft. He already is this year. Now imagine if there's no longer a concern About his jump shot and the reason why I think it can hurt him going into the NBA I don't think he'll get it figured out quickly I don't even know if he'll get his jump shot figured out this offseason if he were to return to Auburn but Markel Fultz is the guy I've been comparing Sharif Cooper to and Markel Fultz was almost written off as a bust I think he was written off as a bust after his first two seasons in the NBA of course he dealt with injuries as well Mm -hmm. in the league but his jump shot And his outside shooting ability was putrid. And it made people heavily criticize the Philadelphia 76ers, so much so that he was traded to Orlando. And something about the Magic unlocked his ability to score, and now he's a reputable or a decent jump shooter. But Sharif Cooper right now, he's a bad jump shooter, and I have no problems with calling it that. He is a bad jump shooter. In college, you should not be struggling this much at hitting a three.
3: That's what it is. I mean, he is a bad jump shooter right now, and that is something that's correctable. You you compare it to Marco Fultz; that's the best NBA comp you can have for Sharif Cooper.
1: On top of that, I also think Sharif down
2: the stretch has shown the inability to score against bigs down low. Oh, for sure. You saw it in Kentucky. You saw it in the Kentucky game. You saw it in the Baylor game. The undersized
1: guard is not the guard you want attacking the rim always at the next level, especially if they can't score against those bigs. No. So for me, I think it is a problem for him going to the NBA without a jump shot because if he's smaller, he's going to need the outside jump shot to make his game more robust. They have to respect the outside game or else you're going to start seeing guards sag off and they're like, okay, you made two threes against us. Whatever. You shot 25% or worse from three. That doesn't bother me. They're not going to respect his three-point game similar to how players – Fail to respect guys like Ricky Rubio, you know? I mean, guys would chirp at Ricky Rubio throughout the game and be like, no shot, like they're not worrying about this guy taking a three, and you'll see them treat him like a center out on the three-point line. I'm not saying people will do that with Sharif, but if his jump shot doesn't improve, I definitely could see that happening in the next level, which is why I think it's imperative his jump shot comes along. I think he will have a hard
2: time scoring at the next level if he goes out right now, I think something else you have to consider is if he comes back this year. You talk about how much tape these guys have on him. I mean, just because he was hyped coming out of high school, you got to look at what he did at the next level in college, which is not a, not a whole lot. Both offensively and and like shooting, both like just like create creating ability just abilities to score. Now he can create abilities for other people to score, but he's not been able to do a whole lot on his own. So if he comes back gets some more tape, develops that shot, shows that he can score outside of just getting to the free throw line. I think that would help his draft stock. I don't think it's solidified. I think he can definitely improve.
3: I mean I think he can improve it. I just I not this I, year, of course. Yeah. I think Lance is saying if no, he no, no, returns
1: no. he can improve. If it. He yeah.
3: yeah, if he if he returns, he can definitely improve it. He could also hurt it because NBA is they they are ageist. They they see someone who is 19 instead of 18 or 20 instead of 19 they get all upset and been out of shape about it. i don't
1: think him as a sophomore would boot him out of the lottery i think it could prevent him from increasing his draft stock inside the top seven
3: oh i agree with that yeah i can see that i could see so where that
1: might be the offset for his skills improving so much but it could weigh him down that he is another year older i would agree with that statement
3: it's just, that's just how the NBA views players. Unfortunately, yep. they see them the one year difference between a freshman and a sophomore now with the NBA draft, it's, it's staggering to think that, but a lot of the times when you get older with guys with, especially with Sharif Cooper's, what his game is, he doesn't have an outside shot right now. He's not going to age gracefully in the NBA unless he develops that. You see that guys like Ray Allen can stick around in the league forever because they can just hang outside and shoot threes. When And you see it with Russell Westbrook where he started to kind of go on a decline because his game was attack, get to the rim. He didn't really have an outside jump shot. Same with Derrick Rose. Attack, get to the rim, out-athleticize everybody else. Didn't have a jump shot early on in his career. He got hurt doing that too. Yeah, and he got hurt doing that. And that's something that you, you can also worry with about Sharif Cooper coming back I was about to make that point as you said his
1: draft stock could get hurt by coming back because of the ageist out there but he could also get hurt (laughs) right and that could hurt his draft stock as well especially if he suffers an injury to a knee or to an ankle or, or something that sidelines him for more than just a few games it could sideline him for months you know could end his season that would be hugely detrimental to his draft stock. I mean, that could plummet him to the bottom of the first round. I mean, you it, could see boot, that. it
3: could boot him to the second round. if I don't if it's think a, that would If it's happen. a nasty, nasty, like if it's something that they are super concerned about.
1: Modern medicine has came such a long way. I don't think that would happen, but I do think he could drop him out of the lottery into I, the late first round.
3: This might even be better for him. It might be better for him to drop out of the lottery in the long term.
1: Because then he's going to a team where his passing will be... It will be more efficient because he's got better scores around him. So I do agree with that. It might be better for him, a better situation
3: for Sharif coming into it. Even if he comes back next year and doesn't get injured and his draft stock takes a little bit of a hit, it still might be the best case scenario for Sharif Cooper because just to go off that point, he might be passing to better guys and it might just help him out as an NBA player. Maybe not necessarily for him and getting in the lottery and all that national Some of those teams
1: towards the back end of the lottery, they're only one piece away from being a playoff team. They've already got some guys that are just missing one or two things, and that's what they go after with that lottery selection. So I agree with everything you're saying there. It could benefit him to coming back from a draft stop perspective, even maybe taking a dip. Not fun to lose some of that money that he'll be missing out on, but from a situation and maybe a longevity perspective he won't be put into a colin sexton like situation in cleveland where he has to do everything now that's worked out for colin sexton but i think colin sexton is a little bit more of your ideal guard right now in today's nba and he is flourishing at the moment Mm -hmm. that ex-alabama product we'll be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break here on espn 106.7 and on fox sports central alabama Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dahl with you in the studio on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook. And keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Switching gears now to Auburn Baseball. The Tigers thrust into a top 25 battle with Boston College after COVID, messing up some scheduling for the Boston College Eagles and the Xavier Musketeers. Xavier no longer coming to the Plains for their four-game series. They will be sitting on the pine this weekend. Boston College's series against Wake Forest was canceled on Wake Forest's end. And now Boston College, number 18 in the country, that's their highest ranking we've seen, They're coming to Auburn this weekend, and man, it just got a lot tougher for this weekend for Auburn because Xavier was coming in off of a 1-3 and weekend against Wofford. They lost three games to Wofford this past weekend, who is not a bad baseball program in the mid-major level, but it was a chance for Auburn to bounce back, and you felt pretty confident about Auburn winning the series against Xavier this weekend. I'm not sure if you feel confident about winning the series against Boston College, this weekend tough switch for auburn in this three-game series that will be friday saturday sunday friday game at 5 p.m saturday at three and then sunday at two the only one of those games broadcasted where you can actually watch it is on sec network plus on sunday once again that a 2 p.m game auburn hosting boston college once again the 18th ranked eagles who are six and one overall almost at eight and one they're six and one overall alabama's eight and one after beating troy yesterday nine and one boston college swept charleston southern in their season opening series back at february 20th they beat charleston southern 12 to 4 12 to 1 and 10 to 2 and then in an upset this previous weekend they took down 11th ranked duke in two out of three games against the blue devils who are once again ranked eleventh in the country, beat them ten to six on Friday, lost three to ten on Saturday, and then in the rubber game they won five to two, shutting down the Blue Devils on Sunday, their midweek game this week against Rhode Island, their first home game of the season. Seems like they play worse at home at this time of year. Only won six to four against a fellow Northern team with them up there in Brighton, Massachusetts. They won that game once again six to four. The series against Wake Forest canceled and now swapping in. This is their only non-conference series of the season. All of their other
3: games are against ACC opponents. And outside of just the one hitters here and there, scattered throughout. Other than the yeah. Charleston Southern. Yeah, as well. I would say that. Yeah, they'll play a couple of non-conference games. Just no series. Just a couple of games to get right. The one thing I'm looking forward to in this game, or there's actually a few things I look forward to. One, the obvious one. This is a great chance for Auburn to kind of showcase what they are. If you win if you win this series this weekend, you're looking good moving forward. You got confidence, you just beat a top 25 team and a little bit even more than that, a team that just beat Duke, who is regarded as a good bas- as a good baseball team this year. And then I'm looking at it from that stat perspective. If I'm reading this correctly, you've got Boston College who their opponent's ERA is 7.40 right now, which is not good.
1: But Boston College did it to them, right?
3: Yeah. That's that's and then
1: I'm not taking a whole lot about opponent ERA for Boston College into account right now because they did it to Duke. Boston College has played better competition at this point than I would say Auburn has because Duke is a top 12 team and Auburn
2: has yet to face a team of top 12 caliber at the moment. Well, just looking at Auburn's schedule, the one top 25 team they did get to play, took them to extra innings, but they lost. They lost to Oklahoma just looking at both of these these team schedules and Oklahoma
1: is newly into the top 25 after this previous weekend after beating Auburn
2: (laughs) Auburn's not had to play a difficult opponent yet and to see Boston College go on the road and take a 2-1 series win over 11th ranked Duke that's impressive I wouldn't say that Auburn's yet to play a difficult opponent because I think the Round Rock Classic was a
1: humongous challenge for Auburn but I don't think they've played a team of this caliber yet I have a lot of respect for Boston College and what they've got going on right now at the plate Batting 296 as a team, they've got four guys consistently in that starting lineup that are batting above 300 right now. Sal Frelick at 469, he's got a home run, four doubles, 15 hits for the team. He's leading them across all of those offensive categories. A 500 on base percentage. Then you got Luke Gold batting 379, Jack Cunningham 360, Dante Baldelli, which is an awesome name, Baldelli. I feel like that could be the name of an awesome sandwich shop. <laughs> like a sports-themed Ball sandwich Deli. shop.
2: Dante Baldelli.
3: Baldelli Subs. Or,
1: or Dante Baldelli's, the sandwich shop, or something like that. I don't know, but we'll, we'll move on. That, that If that doesn't sound like a northern name, I, I don't know what does. I wonder if
2: Brad Lerondo and him would like to get together and crush a chicken
3: parm. That's right. How to trademark someone else's name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pitching-wise for Boston College, not as good, but still some solid numbers. Team 363 ERA, it's being weighed down heavily right now by the appearances of Joe Mancini, who's got a 15.43 ERA, and then Michael Marzoni, who's got a 27 ERA. So less than optimal appearances for them that has jacked up those ERAs. So the team ERA a little skewed, but in terms of guys who are making regular appearances at the moment, guys who have started in games for them, Emmett Sheehan 1-5 ERA. Joey Walsh three five two. A couple of other guys who have started a little bit higher Mason Pelio at six and then a seven seven one one with Joe Vetrano so I like Auburn's odds against what their starting rotation looks like a little bit right now this could be the weekend where Auburn finds its bats but in terms of bullpen relief right now three guys with two appearances for them out of the bullpen all have a zero ERA. Well I'm Five total guys with a zero ERA on the, on the staff entirely. So I was, Boston College, is, is they've got some guys who can come out of the pen to help them out. Maybe the starter's not as impressive, but if you want to look back at that Oklahoma game this past Friday in the Round Rock Classic, what happened? Auburn jumped out all over Oklahoma's Friday guy, Wyatt Olds, bounced him out, and then what happened from there on? Auburn went yeah. on a 10-inning streak of not getting a run.
3: You can't do that. Closed it, out
1: it, from that moment on by the OU bullpen.
3: If you do that this weekend... You're going to be in trouble with this Boston College team. If you do that this weekend, you're going to be in trouble. I was looking something up about the Boston College pitching, how you're talking about um, it was weighed down by a couple of bad, you know, pitching performances. They give up 10 to Duke, or they give up six to Duke and then 10 the next game. That's going to weigh you down. But Duke also, Duke's hitting 303 right now. Their batting average is 303. So it's not, I think that the Boston College pitching rotations is a little bit better than maybe the stats might indicate just because you got to think they play Duke who is a good hitting baseball team right now and you have that 10 run game that they gave up and that six run game they give up which they still won because Boston College can play it in runs so that's kind of a scouting report there on Boston College what
1: I'm taking away from some of the numbers obviously none of us in this studio And I don't think I don't know how many people in the Auburn, Alabama area or in the state of Alabama period have taken the time to watch some Boston College baseball. But credit (laughs) to you if you did. But just looking at the numbers right now, it looks like Auburn's going to receive a challenge on both ends at the plate and out in the field and on the mound, which that's where Auburn was challenged greatly in multiple areas this previous weekend at Round Rock Classic. Richard Fitz got shelled on Saturday. I thought Greenhill had a good outing before he had to leave the game with injury. I want to see if he can finally get some longevity on a Friday. On Sunday, Auburn did well. I think Auburn, from a hitting standpoint this weekend, despite the fact that they scored six runs and hit the ball against Baylor, for me, it took too long for them to finally start plating runs. You can't take a 10 inning stretch between that Oklahoma and Baylor game and expect to win both ball games with certainty, right? You're going to at least lose one of them and Auburn ended up losing both of them. Of course, you also can't give up 12 runs in that Baylor game either, so that's where it comes in, the point that I said, that Auburn has been challenged on both fronts, on the mound and at the plate. I'm challenging Auburn with this pitching staff that, Levi, you're looking at. you got to have consistency at the plate this weekend if you're going to win. None of those 10-inning stretches or, or even 7-inning stretches where you don't play to run. Like you can't, you can't be that dry for that long. You can't have a drought like that. And expect to win a
3: series, it can lose you a series. It, it really can. I mean, it, it really we've already can. seen it happen. Yeah, we saw it happen this weekend. We saw what happens when you're inconsistently hitting. You're not going to win baseball games. This is the weekend. I know we said this last weekend too, but we're going to learn a lot about Auburn this weekend how they bounce back
1: I think we're going to learn a lot about their development trajectory this weekend are they improving
3: are they improving and how do they handle the adversity because you saw what happened amen you saw what happened this past weekend they didn't get folded like a piece of paper they blow that lead against Oklahoma (laughs) and then just get ran out by Baylor they come back they have a good showing against A&M and win that game but you're a little disappointed you're I mean if you're Auburn baseball you're disappointed in how you finished out the round rock classic how you went You had one and i you think you're pleased
1: two. with how you finished it out oh, because you won I'm, on sunday i yeah, think I'm you're saying, i think you're upset with yes. how you started it because you blew an opportunity you're, you're
3: disappointed of what you did overall you're overall you're disappointed how do you respond to that i'm ready to see that this weekend
1: good sign that they bounce back against a&m though when you're talking about adversity yep. it would have been Easy for them, like I said, to have been folded like a piece of paper by SEC foe A&M, but it gives you confidence that they can move forward off of that. We'll move forward with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater
1: at ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Lance Dahl heading out of here. Appreciate him joining us on the show this afternoon. But replacing him and joining us on the phone lines, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us. Justin, how you doing today, my man?
4: Uh, I'm all right. How are you? All?
1: We're doing great here on this fine afternoon. Just happy we got some clear weather as we barrel towards a, a nice baseball weekend. But we want to talk to you about some basketball and a conversation that we were having earlier today on the show about Sharif Cooper possibly translating to the NBA and everybody's gonna be talking about this more and more as time goes on because the final game of the season is this Saturday against Mississippi State. Where do you think Sharif Cooper is at right now in terms of his player development translating to the NBA?
4: Yeah, he's a really interesting case because I think he's got some natural skills about him that are that are really high end. It's mostly to do with his passing. His passing and his vision are, are top notch. I mean, there are a few guys who come out of college who already have kind of in him uh, in them. So you, you you think about that, and you think, okay, well, this is a guy um, who could come in and can contribute right away in the NBA. But there are some other areas of his game. He's got to continue to improve. Once teams kind of got the buck out of him uh, a few games into his into his freshman season here at Auburn, guarding him a little bit more physically, challenging him uh, around the rim. You know, changing the way. They defended him when he drove the ball. You know, he had some games where he had a hard time, you know, hard time finishing and a hard time, you know, playing off of that. So I think that's an area where he's got to really, you know, step up because you're going to want to be able, you know, to have a guy who can get his shot, beat guys off the, off the dribble and and get to the basket. So, you know, between that, there's some parts about you know people want to point out his defensive game, which I think is fine. It's not, you know, he's not an elite defender by any means. Also, point guards in the NBA just aren't usually known for their defense. So I don't think that would hurt him too much as a prospect. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just, you know, if you look at him for the future, it's, you know, he's got to do a better job, I think, of, you know, getting his own shot, um, you know, being better, at, uh, being a more, uh, uh, you know, efficient finisher around the rim, you know, just developing that jump shot a little bit more. Um, and the real question is, can will you do that here at Auburn for another season, or will you go ahead and do that in the NBA? Because there's a trade-off for both sides. Knowing that the NBA likes upside, knowing the NBA likes younger prospects, um, so it's it, it's it's a decision. I think they can go either way for him. But he's still he still got some he's got still got some ways to go before I think. Hey, he's a guy who can play, you know, a huge number of minutes in the NBA.
1: Do you think he plays on Saturday against Mississippi State?
4: That's a really good question. And uh, you know, he you know he was able to warm-up against Alabama. He made the trip. Then after the game, Bruce Pearl said that he wasn't close to playing, which is interesting to me um, because, you know, you could tell he wasn't 100% from kind of the videos you saw of him in warm-ups. I think another, you know, we'll see how he'll be able to go. Um, but, I mean, I would, I would lean toward there would be a good chance of him playing. It would kind of be, you know, it would be two weeks almost to the day of when he sprained that ankle. That's about around the time. Uh, Bruce Pearl said, "Is like you know two to three weeks usually give a guy would be on the early end of that. Um, they're not going to force him. They're not going to jeopardize his future or anything like that. But uh, you know, I think the fact that he was able to you know be on his feet, practice some, uh, and, and make the trip to uh, uh, Tuscaloosa, I think, is a good sign that you know he'll have a shot to play on Saturday.
3: If he doesn't go Saturday, what's Auburn looking like in that matchup department with Mississippi State?"
4: Yeah, it's interesting because Mississippi State is a lot like Auburn. Uh, they're a young team uh, that rebounds the ball, uh, you know, pretty well with their size. They have their own uh, turnover issues. They've they've turned the ball over at a high rate this season. They're not necessarily a great scoring team, at least from a three point, uh, you know, standpoint. It's a very good battle, I think, on the inside. If Auburn can kind of step up and show that they're rebounding an interior defense that they showed against Tennessee and, and for most of the part part against Alabama. Uh, you know, last uh, year, uh, earlier this week, I should say, um, you know, can you keep that going? Can you keep that going? I guess a team that is probably not going to want to challenge you too much in terms of taking a lot of threes or playing a fast-paced brand of basketball, what they do a really good job of is rebounding and getting second-chance opportunities. So I think Sharif Cooper being in this game for Auburn, if he is, you think the offense is going to be able to run better, Maybe have less turnover issues, but also, I mean, Mississippi State's not necessarily a team that's got, you know, super, super dynamic guards uh, that can light you up or anything like that. They're they're solid players and they've got a little bit of experience in their backcourt. Uh, but I think if Auburn's going to win this game on Saturday, it's going to have to kind of look like it's Tennessee last week, where they're going to have to win by playing hard on the inside uh, and really, really grinding it out that way. And, uh, you know, Cooper would definitely help them on the offensive end and give them some some cushion there. Uh, But I think the key to beating a Mississippi State is what you do down low.
1: Something we asked Zach yesterday, or something that Zach and I talked about yesterday as we're speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, did this team improve this year? And we mean the team as a unit. I think we've seen a lot of individuals improve. We've been talking about this throughout the show today, but – do you think that the group as a whole took steps forward this year?
4: I mean, that's tough to say because there's very few of these guys who played last season at a high, uh, yeah, high enough level. And so there's no baseline. So like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the thing. Is Because like, I, I agree with you, there's plenty of dudes that you can say there's kind of individual development. Well, when you put it all together, it's dropped off a ton from what they had last season a couple of years ago. And I think that's because of the experience. I really do think that's the experience factor. Um, you know, some of the things this team struggled with, I think it's because of experience. You take a step backwards on defense, well, you don't have a ton of experience. You take a step backwards on offense. Well, you didn't have a natural point guard for most of the season. Um, you've had injuries, you know, a guy like Justin Powell would have really helped uh, in stretches as well. Um, you know, th- there's are some areas that they should have you know been better at for sure. but I, yeah, I think it's just you don't have a ton of baseline. I mean, Alan Flamning and Jalen Williams were only the guys were really the only guys on this team that played some decent minutes last season, Jamal Johnson to an extent as well. And so you're asking a lot of those guys and some newcomers to come in, and it's just really kind of hard to compare it to. So I think on the whole, it's a step back for the program in terms of, you know, their production. Um, But, I mean, this is the youngest team in college basketball. It's it's really hard to kind of say, you know, what they could have been, um, you know, compared to last season just because there's not a whole lot to go off of.
1: Alan Flanagan we saw have a 10 to 12 point jump in his average in terms of points per game we also saw his efficiency shoot up I mean he became a main focal point in Auburn's game this year do you see any other players on this roster this year that are freshmen that maybe take an Alan Flanagan like jump next year maybe it isn't 10 or 12 points that large because that's just wild but just a, a huge jump in development where they become a, a very effective basketball player next season
4: well, I think the best candidate for that is JT Thor because I think JT Thor physically and talent-wise has the potential to be a first-round NBA draft pick and I think Bruce Pearl and staff believes that as well Since so he's got some games part of his games he ha- ha- has to get around and improve on um, he's got to become a better defensive player I think he you know he's had had some times this season where he's kind of gotten lost on defense a little bit. The communication, knowing where to be is something he's had to pick up on. And just remember, this guy's only it's supposed to be a high school senior this year, so there's a really a huge amount of upside left in this guy. Um, but, you know, we know he can get hot from deep. We know he can attack off the dribble and make some, make some plays. We know his length can create steals and blocks, and he can have some, you know, those kind of uh, pick-six type of type of plays where – uh, you know, you, you, you steal it or you block it, and then you turn it into easy points for yourself on the other end. There's a lot of that to his game. He's got to get bigger, um, which I know is going to be a big emphasis for him this off season, and then, you know, trying to become a, a tougher dude down low. Um, but, yeah, I think it's very similar to what we saw a few years back with Chuma Okiki and where, you know, Chuma wasn't a starter, but he was a guy that played a good bit minutes as a freshman, and you looked at him and said, okay, if he can get his body in the right, you know, in the in the right spot where he needs to be, and he gets some more shots and he gets some more opportunities, he could blow up and be a star. And uh, I think I think JT Thor could be right in line for that.
1: Switching over to Albert football, a topic of conversation that we've had on the show this week when we were continuing our 8 Day depth chart series that we've been predicting over the last couple of weeks. We moved on to tight ends this week. How do you expect Albert's tight ends to be used this season?
4: Well, I would expect them to be used a good bit for a number of reasons. Number one, it's the it's the track record. Boise State under Brian Harson had at least two uh, tight ends catch ten or more passes again uh, ten or more passes in a season every year he was there as the head coach. Auburn has not had a, a tight end, a true natural tight end, catch that many passes in a season since C.J. Uzama. So there's an emphasis there that, you know, it, 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 this offense is more built for that. They they, they use a lot more two tight ends. They use them a lot more as weapons in the passing game. I think that's going to be part of it. It's also a really, really deep group. I mean, Auburn's got twice as many scholarship tight ends on their roster right now than running backs, which I don't think we would ever would have expected. That's where they're at right now. They've got a lot of experience. They can do a lot of different things. You know, a guy like J.J., but a guy like Brandon Frazier, you know, those are two guys that are very – unique in what they can do um, and what they can bring to an offense. There's a lot of a lot of versatility, a lot of ability to mix and match there with this group. And the other thing to keep in mind is there's a lot of depth there. There's more experience at the tight end position and there's the wide receiver position. So I think to help those guys out at wide receiver, you're going to have to get the ball to your tight ends a little bit more because you cannot lean on your wide receivers quite as much probably as you've done you know, in the last couple of years because of the experience you had there. So there's a lot of reasons why I think Auburn's tight ends could really put it all together this year. Um and I think just because it's the new coaching staff and it's not the hey we're gonna throw the ball to the tight end again. You know, we're gonna throw it more, we're gonna throw it more to them that we heard over the last few years in our Gus Miles on, I think it's just a little bit different because you know there is a proven it has already happened kind of track record with the staff of that position.
3: Justin, I got a quick phone one before we get out of here. Do you agree with Chris Sims mm-hmm. that Kellen Mond is a more consistent thrower than Trevor Lawrence?
4: <laughs> Man, where did you even get that that, that that idea from, Chris Sims? I'm like, I'm 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 just floored by that one um, because you know a more consistent thrower. Like on what grounds? You look, at the, you look at any number that tracks how good you are at throwing the football, and and Trevor Lawrence was widely better. Than then Kalimann and you know maybe Kalimann's better than we get credit for because I think he just was very overrated early in his career at Texas A&M. Thought he had a better year last year and really helped A&M get to where they were. But man, I mean, you can just look at numbers and just say, hey, this is not even close. Uh, what kind of what kind of quarterback Kalimann is compared to a dude
3: like Trevor Lawrence?
1: Also, I hate to say this, but. Kill him ons very check down Charlie, you know. It's Alex
3: Smith 2.0. Yeah,
1: I don't know if he stretches yep. the field like like a Trevor Lawrence can with his with his arm strike. I, I'm always stunned by stuff that Chris Sims puts out about quarterbacks. I'm like, dude, you played the position. What
4: happens?
1: Like, How do you evaluate <laughs> QBs this way? Justin, I appreciate you hopping on with us. Tell everybody where they can find where you're at.
4: Yeah, auburnobserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. You can subscribe and check out everything we got going on. There, had some depth to our projections of our own this week. Got a mailbag coming up tomorrow. Had a premium podcast just for our subscribers, so if you subscribe, you can get access to that where we talk a lot about football and and this basketball, this final week of basketball season. Yeah, just check that all out, AuburnObserver.com. And, uh, yeah, appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Thank you, Justin. Hope you have a good evening.
4: Absolutely, y'all too.
1: That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Seriously, Chris Sims, what are you
3: doing, man? I saw that tweet from Justin earlier, and I just I thought it was hilarious. Like, I laughed out loud when I saw it.
1: I'm trying to think of another quarterback that maybe he's got Kellen Mond confused with, but I can't.
3: I'm, I don't know. Maybe he's confused. There's no him.
1: other names that sound the same. Maybe
3: he, thinks, maybe he thinks Kellen Mond is Trevor Lawrence. Maybe he's got those two backwards.
1: That's wild. I'm always floored by some of his NFL quarterback rankings that he puts out. I'm not sure if it's him or somebody else that consistently ranks Tom Brady outside the top 10. Look, the guy may not look physically like where he used to be. He's still playing great. He just won another Super Bowl.
3: Nah, yeah, he's overrated. Get
1: off my lawn, right? Like
3: <laughs> He's not overrated. No, not at all. I mean, you you can't put Tom Brady outside of the top 10 unless, unless something happens. Unless Father Tom finally catches up with him.
1: Even if it does, like Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl – because of intangible qualities and a great defense oh
3: yeah he played terribly that year he played awful in terms of physical ability but like you but said but there's still intangible qualities and mental, mentally pre- and leadership pre-snap reads and stuff like that Peyton Manning put them in positions to succeed defense won the championship
1: Omaha Omaha we'll be back with more of online on the other side of this break You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater wrapping up hour number one on the show. Number to call in, 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwire. Thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in that previous segment. You can find him in that conversation if you missed it, or if you ever miss a show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast Levi, before we wrap up hour number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight hey everybody it's noah gardner with what's on tonight only 16 bots remain on this season of battle bots a new episode is on discovery at 7 a 1988 classic with eddie murphy and coming to america on paramount at 7:25. a pair of action thrillers are on sci-fi limitless at six and john wick at eight watch out for the boogeyman if you want to get scared tonight it is on hbo2 at 5 40. thursday college basketball begins with two games at six rivals collide between michigan state at number two, Michigan on ESPN. And on ESPN2, it'll be number 17, Oklahoma State, at number three, Baylor. We've got three games at 8 p.m., Nebraska at the fifth-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes on Big Ten Network. Over on ESPN, it'll be the Red River Rivalry with number 15, Texas, at number 16, Oklahoma. In the Pac-12, Arizona State is at newly ranked, number 24, Colorado, on ESPN2. One NBA game is on TNT. The Miami Heat are at the New Orleans Pelicans on at 7.30. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you. Wrapping up our number one number to call, 334-321-1390. Some NCAA tournament bracketology talk here. I think it'd be interesting to talk about this. It's something that's really bothering me deeply right now. Enough for me to go and tweet about it. Which,
3: and I'm on the other side of this. You go right ahead.
1: Which is ridiculous, and I know why you are, and it's pure bias. Pure No, bias. not at
3: all. It's not pure bias.
1: They're 11-10, and 10, man.
3: Yeah. But you look at it since their season started, they're 2-2. Since their actual season started, they're 2-2 with two losses in overtime to two tournament teams.
1: The team we're talking about right now in terms of NCAA tournament bracketology, should Duke even be considered as a bubble team right now? And according to Joe Lenardi on ESPN, he's got them as a first four out, which is out of the tournament. But it's on the flight of seats that is right before being in the tournament. It's right outside... Of that last four in margin. And, and according to these bubble rankings here from Joe Lenardi, they're three teams out, four teams out from being in the tournament. I have such a problem with that because this Duke team is literally one game away from being five hundred. They're eleven and ten.
3: But I mean, they played a tough schedule and they're two and two since their season actually started once Jalen Johnson left. I mean, you look at it, their last over their last six games, are four and two, with you know wins at NC State at Wake Forest, the big win over Virginia, which a lot of people are holding value to. They really handled Syracuse, and then their next two games. Oh, by the way, they're against tournament teams in Louisville and at Georgia Tech, both of which went to overtime and could have went either way. So I can understand why they're not holding those back to back losses against Duke. And it's the it's the previous schedule for them. It's when Jalen Johnson was on the team and holding them back the entire way through. That was what the problem was with Duke. You look at it, they lose at Virginia Tech. They lost a close win at Pittsburgh. They lost to Louisville twice this year. They have beaten Georgia Tech, which is a tournament team. They have some good wins on the schedule, and even their losses ha- haven't been terrible outside of against Illinois, which, oh, by the way, Illinois just went and beat Michigan, who is perceived to be the third best team in the country, leaps and bounds above the rest of them outside of you know Baylor and Gonzaga. So I, I, don't, I don't hate it. I think if you're looking at it and you're looking at this bracketology, look at the last four in. Drake, Duke's better than them. Xavier, Duke's better than them. Boise State, Duke's better than them. They're a better team than all those outside of Michigan State because they already played them. And I'm, and I'm not so certain that if you're they play. You're
1: more about the eye test right now.
3: They're just a better basketball team, and I think their resume could put them into a tournament. I like them better than the other teams that are being considered around them. Seton Hall, St. Louis, Utah State, Duke's better, has a better resume than those guys. Next four out, they beat Syracuse, better than SMU, better than Memphis, better than Ole Miss.
1: I don't think they're better than Ole Miss right now. And my my reasoning for that is, look at Duke over the last two games. Yes, they got hot and won three games in a row after being putrid across the entire season by by Duke standards. What season? Uh, You know what I'm talking about.
3: Their season started at that NC State game. That's simply not
1: true. And I know what you're saying, and it's funny, but still, that's simply
3: not true. I think it is because I think if you're looking at this from a committee, that's the reason they have a committee is to take in what the team is right now and what the team is and currently.
1: what that team is right now is a team that's two and two just went on a two-game losing streak lost to louisville and georgia tech who may or may not be in the tournament they lost to both of those teams they the the only win that they can hang their hat on since your season began is against uva uva where they won by one I can't get there with you, and if you want to talk about uh, where teams are at right now, Ole Miss is on a hot streak out in the SEC with just as many Q1 wins coming in. They've actually got more Q1 wins coming into this thing. They're 3-4 and four against Q1 teams. Duke at 2-4 and four in that ranking. I just think the only reason why Duke right now is even remotely on the bubble right now is because of their name. That's it. And that's, that's okay. the only. Re- that is not
3: okay. That's okay. I mean, that's what happens. I mean, we talked about this from the college football perspective where that first year that they had the playoff, if TCU was texas they would have gotten in over ohio state and it's not even that close like that's just how that that would have happened
1: different situations here you're talking about an ohio state team that was one of the best teams in college basketball we're now talking about a duke team who is one game away from being 500 if they lose
3: but if you're looking at all the teams around them i mean yeah louisville and georgia tech are in right now according to joe linardi they took those two teams overtime beat georgia tech already i just think that they are better than every team around them in that situation
1: that's it for our number one of On the Line. We'll be back with more of the show on the other side of this break on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay with us, everybody. Back in just a moment.
0: You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7 Listen online at Fox 983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888 888-
1: Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. Phone lines are open. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Find Levi at I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. And that's how we're starting off hour number two here. We've got a tweet, Stephen Kerr tweeting at us. At Boy Gardner, at Levi Fedswater, what do you, what do y'all think will end up being our strongest defensive position group next year, defensive back or linebacker? I could honestly make an argument either way, especially with our latest additions. And then eyes emoji. I think this is a great question. What could be Auburn's? greatest or best position group next season on the defensive side of the football i think that could also end up being auburn's best position group across the entire team because i think right now when you're talking about when you're talking about experience and what's coming back on the defensive side of the football it's vastly more experienced over there than it is on the offensive end
3: yeah, and I think me and you both agree. You're also with, under
1: the tutelage of Derek Mason.
3: Of course, I mean you have a great defensive tutor in Derek Mason. I think we're in the. I think me and you are going to agree on this one. I think it's defensive backs, and I think that comes from one the talent that you're presenting, to the depth that you're presenting at that position and or that position group. I think you have way too many guys who are talented who can rotate in and play meaningful minutes, and I think that starts with the transfer from West Virginia that comes in here, Drayshawn Miller. I think that is one of the – I think that was what solidified it for me was because we were sitting there thinking, this is a really good position group, probably the best that Auburn has. And then you bring in a guy like that who was on one of the top – I mean, the top passing defense in the country last year at West Virginia. Oh, by the way, they were playing in the Big 12. They were playing in the Big 12, which is notoriously known for, you know, passing the ball, throwing it all over the yard – and you still manage to trot out the top passing defense in the country that's, I, and to me that is incredible he was a part of it he played meaningful minutes a part of that you bring a guy like that in along with the talent that you already have going in there i just think that it's i think it's defensive backs and i don't think it's i don't think it's too close in my brain and that's not a knock on any of the other defensive position groups i just think this group is that talented
1: on the two that steven points out on twitter he says linebackers, defense backs, and he can make an argument either way. For me, what I find to be interesting about this is both of these position groups were negatively affected this season by another position group. They were yep. both heavily affected by the defensive line, and I think the answer to this question hinges on what aspect of defensive line play they improve in. Do they improve more in pass rushing, or do they improve more in run stopping if they improve more in run stopping the linebackers are going to look great yep <laughs> but if they can't get a pass rush the defensive backs are going to be left out to dry people are going to be like why are we giving up these downfield throws why are we getting picked apart it's not the defensive backs you're fault asking
3: them to stay in coverage for, for five so to yeah. seven
1: seconds you know like that's not normal and that happened a lot this past year so if pass rushing doesn't improve defensive backs are going to be hurt more than the linebackers are vice versa I'm expecting I honestly don't know the answer to that question trying to think about which aspect of defensive line play Auburn will improve in whether it be pass rushing or run stopping because I don't believe Auburn went into the offseason and added any players via transfer like Joko Willis and Eku Liota, guys that are going to play next year on the defensive line they didn't bring those guys in for run stopping they brought those guys in for pass rushing so I don't know if Auburn actually improved their personnel anyway in terms of run stopping up front and being able to actually, you know, stifle the offensive line's push and allow your linebackers to go and fill gaps. Auburn was horrible at that last year. Just going back and watch the Texas A&M game, Very tough game to watch if you want to see a strong defensive effort against someone running the football. Auburn just got pushed around all game long. And moving to a three-man front, if Auburn does indeed do that, requires those defensive linemen to be even more disciplined to be even stronger, to be even bigger, to be even better at run-stopping, to help those linebackers out. Of course, you have more linebackers to play with in the second level, but it's because you do have two inside linebackers now that can help you plug gaps. So the 3-4 actually find, especially in the NFL, to be an effective scheme against the run because if you don't have good guards, if you don't have a good interior blocking, like if, you, if you're you going to have a harder time running inside zone against 3-4 teams that are good at it of course now if you're not good at it then once again it does it does require defensive linemen in the 3-4 to be a little bit more disciplined so it'll be interesting to see if Auburn takes steps forward with that because I don't know if Auburn Auburn didn't add any personnel on the defensive line this year or in recruiting that like helps them in the run stop it's going to truly have to come from development at the hands of Nick Eason and Derek Mason to make those guys better at stopping the run I think Auburn's pass rushing improves I think they're going to find a way to generate that not only just from the linebackers off the edge with guys like Joko Willis coming in, but also Echo Leota coming in as well. I think helps Auburn out in that category. I also think it's easier to improve pass rushing than it is to improve run stopping. My basis on that is it's see ball, get ball, run into the backfield, get into the backfield. And I think there's guys that are more primed and ready to go and make those plays like a Colby Wooden, like a Zakevious Walker who showed flashes of it last year. So I'm going to say the defensive backs are going to be Auburn's best position group because I think the defensive line takes more improvement in helping those guys out than maybe they help the linebackers out.
3: I agree with that. I think they're going to get a better pass rush off than they're going to do run-stopping the ball, which in turn is going to make the defensive backs look better.
1: Also, all of the points you made, though, about the defensive backfield, I think they're easily the most talented position group from top to bottom on this football team. I just wanted to approach that from a different angle that a lot of people aren't considering – especially if we're talking about this discussion between linebackers and defensive backs, both of those position groups, like I said, were hurt by the defensive line last year. The defensive line, Auburn folded from the inside out last season. Offensive and defensive line were the two worst position groups on Auburn's football team last year, and they folded from the inside out. Both of those groups hurt their respective sides of the ball tremendously in everything that they were trying to do. Pass protection hurts Bo Nix. Run blocking I felt like was fine, but Tank Bigsby also made that offensive line look a little bit better in terms of run blocking as well. Defensive line didn't stop the run very well up front, got pushed around, got tired of seeing players like Tyrone Truesdale, who are huge, monstrous human beings, getting pushed off the TV frame because these offensive lines were just mauling them everywhere. Linebackers are hurt by that, and then the defensive backs are hurt because they have to be in coverage for five to seven seconds. So That's tough to deal with. Because you give any quarterback college football that much time, they're going to they're gonna find an opening, hopefully, or else they're just horrible. But I feel like in terms of talent on the defensive side of the ball, there are more studs in that defensive backfield than there are in that linebacker room. There's an actual first-round draft pick in that defensive backfield with Roger McCreary. I don't think there's a first-round draft pick anywhere in that linebacker room. But in the defensive backfield, there's a first-round draft pick there, and there are other guys that will move on to the NFL one day as well. I don't know if there are any other first-round draft picks. But there are NFL defensive guys. Back, right, there are NFL guys, guys that could maybe get as high as the second or third round. Like Nehemiah Pritchett, man, could be the next great Auburn corner yep. after Roger McCreary, or even while they're both on the field. McCreary's like yards per target allowed outrageously low. It was at like 2.9. I think I got that stat off of college football filmer forgive me if i'm incorrect on that but i did see that on twitter not that long ago and that's that's outrageously low that means you know he, he's a he's probably not getting targeted that much but b like there's there's not a whole lot of yardage going on when when he is targeted and he's forcing a lot of incompletions pritchett was really good towards the back end of last year and then Jalen Simpson I don't know what his NFL trajectory looks like I think he's probably the third best corner on the team right now but then we're also not even talking about Dreshawn Miller coming into the team who was a beast as you've already pointed out and one of the better not better the best secondary in all of college football statistically at West Virginia last year and then we haven't even gotten to
3: look at Marco Domeo yet and there's there's just so it's almost like there's just they're so, deep. There are so many bodies. The talent is there. It's they're deeper than the linebacker room. When you're Yeah, and they are, in my opinion, I think they're more talented than the linebacker room. 100%. And it's a good point that you brought up because a lot of people don't consider that when they think of defensive backfield and guys in coverage that they are tethered to the defensive line. The defensive line's not getting pass rush. You're going to have to stay in coverage for too long, and good receivers are going to break off their route, and quarterbacks are going to find them.
1: Football is the ultimate team game. And, of course, every coach of any sport is going to say that their game is the ultimate team game. But in football, every single position group is tied together. Tethered, as you said. That's a great word. Football is tetherball, right? Like, they are all tethered together because if one group's not doing their job on any given play, it has a chance – It it puts it puts the whole play into question.
3: I mean there's the way I see it, I think of somewhat a team like the Seattle Seahawks of, you know, the past few years where they haven't been they haven't had line help. They were struggling to run the ball for a few prior to the past like two years, they were struggling to run the football. The Saints of the twenty eleven years where when Drew Brees had the got the ball, he had what, two, three seconds before there was a line in front of him they were able to make it you know work because they are generational quarterbacking talent but you see that you can almost negate a good running back, a good quarterback if your offensive line bad. And the same and people know that one. People always can point to that one. They don't think about it from the defensive side. They don't think, "Oh, if the defense is not getting a pass rush, these corners have to stay in coverage longer or if they can't get a run, you know, run stopping ability, the linebackers are going to look bad as well if someone's not doing their job it, look, it looks bad on someone else well not only that it, it makes them a liability
1: and it throws the security of the play into question there's automatically a liability on the field and sometimes you get lucky enough to where when that guy didn't do his job it was away from the play and it didn't matter but oftentimes and it just worked out this way the guy who's not doing his job it ends up being his fault that the play fails or that there's blown coverage or you know can't tell you how many times we saw Omburn getting beat over the top and one of the defensive backs looking at the other defensive back like what are you doing man and I don't know if that's because it was their fault and they didn't want to get blamed for it but somebody wasn't doing their job and it ended up affecting them and you when you reach college offenses are designed to take advantage of defensive mistakes or mental mistakes that's what that's how the spread option came to be the spread option the read option came to be to make defenders make decisions and more times than not Defenders in college football will make the wrong decision.
3: It was making making them make decisions and trying to get them, and that's where the tempo came from was to put them out of position to where then you were – it was all scheme. It was scheme. That's why that spread offense came to be. Make the defense make decisions and make them make bad decisions because they're college kids and and get them out of position.
1: We've seen that scheme develop too. It hasn't gone away. You know what has emerged because of it? The run-pass option. It's now no longer just the read option. It's now the run-pass option. There's a pass option fragment to it and there are more advanced reads that have proliferated throughout college football and throughout the NFL as well we see RPOs in the NFL a lot thanks to Lamar Jackson I I think Lamar Jackson is the big main reason why RPOs are in the NFL because people are now trying to mirror their offense after the Ravens offense guys like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson are working in the NFL now because RPOs are a thing and they're more advanced RPOs than just what Auburn has done with you know handoff reading the defensive end does the quarterback or the running back take it you know now there's stuff where you're reading linebackers there are RPOs in the NFL where when you come up to the line of scrimmage you're either doing a handoff from under center or you're throwing a screen pass or a slant I mean there are there are very robust RPOs now in all of college football and into the NFL it's harder than ever to play defense so when one guy's not doing his job it is put on tape it is highlighted and oftentimes that's the reason why play fails all 11 guys have to do their job and that's why I believe football is the ultimate team game basketball one guy can change the whole scope of your season Sharif Cooper did that for Hallburn we saw how dramatic that is you can get hero ball and that can work in basketball of course it's still a team game and you need the team to be at your best but one guy can make a big difference baseball is a team game but still not to the degree to the degree of football because of the nature of baseball because baseball is very much so a station to station play to play game more so than even football because only one batter's up at a time there are nine fielders but the ball's not being hit to all nine fielders at a time and anyone playing baseball only two guys may touch the ball or not touch
3: the ball could be hit over the wall you know and then you got fans touching the ball you know and so if you haven't you haven't played outfield in baseball if you didn't talk to yourself There, there are times where you just sit out there and nothing comes your way for innings and innings on end and that's sometimes you're just not accountable for the play sometimes you are literally doing nothing and sitting there football not so much you're involved every play even if the play goes away from you you still are involved in every single play
1: it is such an intricate game And football has become more and more advanced as time has gone on. And it's fun. I'm hating the fact that RPOs are, you know, I've read some books before and, and, you know, I've seen different authors phrase phrase this in in different ways, but football is a copycat game. And, you know, 70% of football, maybe even more than that, has RPOs, has the read option has that zone read in their offense, and it's a staple in their offense. And so it can kind of be irritating to not see a whole lot of parity in playbooks, to not see a whole lot of diversity, because the spread took overnight, and now everybody's doing some form of it, right? So to a degree, it's irritating that everybody's using it, but everybody's using it because it works.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's why. If it works, you're going to use it. You hit it best. Copycat league, that's what it is. You see someone do it. You do it because you see that it's successful. And then something else is going to come along. Something else past this read option that we're seeing right now. It's going to come along. I don't know when. It's stubborn to reinvent the wheel. Why would you do it? You, I mean, you just don't. I mean, if you see something that's working, do it. That's, football, just, that's how it is. Football
1: is a game of plagiarism. And nobody knows where any of it all started, you know. But, but when football is
3: a game of plagiarism. And when something pops up and starts working, you immediately see people get on after that we'll be back on the other
1: side of this break here on on the line back on on the line Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama number to call 334-321-1390 we're gonna head to our phone lines now I believe we've got Bama Dog on the line with us how you doing today
5: General, how's it going?
1: it's going good how are you today
5: Hey, man, I'm doing good. Look, man, I love y'all's show, love the energy, love the love, the, love the, the knowledge and the info, even though I'm Alabama fan. I just appreciate, you know, how y'all put it out there. I just wanted to uh, say that right quick.
1: Well, I appreciate it. And, and look, I know you I may be so. an Alabama fan, but uh, feel free to call in and we'll talk Alabama sports. Uh, I, I write a lot for RadioAlabamaSports.net, which this is a show, a part of a, a parent company called Radio Alabama that... Uh, that has a brand called Radio Alabama Sports, and I put a lot of Alabama content up as well. So I, I'm always game to talk about both sides of this awesome rivalry.
5: Oh, yeah. I, uh, I call Bill and uh, Dan all the time.
1: Well, that's great. We oh, appreciate yeah, I'm, you I'm calling good. in to us today. So what's on your mind?
5: Hey, no problem. Look, so, uh, I'm i heading to work uh, last night, and I'm listening to one of the, uh, one of the late shows on uh, ESPN. And so they go, uh, well, uh, you know how you do your little teaser, right? And they got to go put the teaser out there saying that, uh, well, this is a school that you usually you know of for, for, uh, football, but uh, now they're trying to turn it into a basketball school, you know? So, me being a Bama fan, I'm all there thinking, oh, okay. And then they're like, okay. Well, uh, also, we'll have that coach on next, also. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get it here old Coach Coach, right? Man, they were, they were talking about Arkansas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: I'm like, wait a minute. You know, uh, when I think of football school, I don't think of Arkansas.
1: <laughs> yeah that's fair
5: now, track yeah
3: <laughs> yeah that, that's such a great I, point they I are think,
1: great at track but also like I think historically baseball. I think
3: baseball school and i think arkansas
1: i don't well yeah but i i actually think of them kind of more as a basketball and baseball school as yeah. well because like historically right. they've had some great basketball teams and in football it's kind of, of it's been pretty hit or miss was, yeah
5: was of, minutes of hell?
1: that's right they've they've With got no, a great man. history in basketball right oh,
5: todd day and them guys man come on man
1: to be fair, yeah, though, I, I, I think it's going to be pretty hard to, to turn Alabama into a basketball school. No matter how good the basketball team is consistently, the the sport at Alabama that will always be king is football.
5: I don't think people realize what they're saying when they say, okay, we're going to turn this school into a basketball school.
1: Yeah. I think yeah, you've got to be is. pretty bad at football in the Southeastern Conference for you to be anything but a football school.
5: Yeah, that's like you said, we're going to turn Duke into a football school.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely not happening. And they have a pretty large fan base, believe it or not, but it's it's basketball, 100% through and through.
5: Right, right, right. Well, look, we talk a little baseball here. I'm one of I'm one of the, I'm, of the, I'm, I'm a Bama fan that, I'm, I'm in on all of the gymnastics, golf, softball, all that, baseball. And I'm kind of excited about Bama's baseball team this year. You know, they they dropped a tough one earlier in the year, non-conference. But, uh I just got fired up last year and they just got out the gate sixteen and one and then we everybody know what happened. So I'm kinda of excited to see what they're gonna do this year. So it's been a while since they kinda of been competitive.
1: And they've got a bit of a challenging series this weekend in name only. I don't know how good College of Charleston is this year, but they're a team that sometimes makes the NCAA tournament. They're they're known for being a baseball school if you're if you're gonna talk about College of Charleston for some reason. But it's on the road. This is the first time that Alabama's getting away from home other than their midweek when they played Jacksonville State a couple of weeks ago. Alabama looks good. The the questions about Alabama outside of, you know, what's great about Alabama's team this year? They've got a lot of power in their lineup and they've got a great starting pitching staff. There's still a lot to be known though about their bullpen and I think that will determine how high Alabama can go in the SEC West this year because I think Auburn, A&M, and Alabama, all with their flaws, they're all really tight together. I don't think any of those teams are getting higher than fifth, though. <laughs> and, and I think you're basically just trying to figure out seeding at that point for the SEC tournament where you're talking about those three teams. Because one through four in the West, they're all really good.
3: I mean, any of those four teams can swap up as well at the top. I mean, they're all really good. Yeah. Alabama also has the benefit of their schedule. They can play a little bit, not not like the easiest non-conference, but a... Generous non-conference up until they play Arkansas, so they can kind of figure out some of the flaws that they have early on in the year. Get off to a good start, get a little b- bit of confidence going into what is going to be a tough series at Arkansas in March.
5: Yeah, it is. I, I was I was kind of worried about the bullpen too. That, like you said, the starting pitching looks pretty looks pretty smooth to me, but I'm just worried about the uh the uh, bullpen and how, how how deep they can go.
1: And Alabama's got a tough open SEC slate to open up the year. I mean, their, their first six SEC games are against the two best teams I think the SEC has to offer on the western side with Ole Miss and Arkansas. That's that's brutal. Auburn's in the same boat. Of course, I, they get they get a r- little bit of a reprieve in the second series when I think they're playing Kentucky after they play Ole Miss. But Auburn opens with Ole Miss. So um, it, it's going to be brutal. for it, It's brutal in the SEC. and You just got to make sure you avoid sweeps. If you can avoid a sweep early on in the year when you have to open up against a team like Arkansas, it keeps you in it later in the year when maybe you do suffer a sweep. You just can't take two, three sweeps across a, an SEC season and, and, and hope to have a have a favorable seating or even make the SEC tournament. Alabama's better than they have been in a long time in baseball, though. There, there's a lot of room for excitement. And uh, Bo Hannon at, at Alabama's got something – he's got something building over there in Tuscaloosa.
5: Yeah, he got something going on, but uh regardless, if you're a baseball fan, especially a college baseball fan, you're gonna see
1: some good uh baseball every weekend at six Oh yeah, every weekend. One hundred percent. you know, when you're hoping to play teams like Tennessee and Kentucky who still can take one or you know, one or two games from you if they're if they're sneaky going into a weekend. I mean, there's just no you, you don't expect to sweep anybody in this league unless you're the old misses or the Arkansas or the Floridas or the Vanderbilt's. And the problem is those schools have easy recruiting pipelines, and they have a little bit more money to play with in their states. Uh, considering, you know, you talk about lotteries in those states and whatnot. There's a little bit more money to play with in those states from a recruiting standpoint. Auburn and Alabama don't have that, and there's a reason why they lag behind everybody else in recruiting. I think Auburn and Alabama are doing the best they can on the recruiting right. front, but there's a reason why they they have a hard time finishing higher than fifth in the Western hey, Division.
5: Speaking speaking of the lottery thing, man, what, what do you guys think, man? That, and it's supposed to be on the ballot this year or whatever. So I, I
0: you believe know, so.
5: my mind. You know, I, you know, people, they're taking their money to Florida and, and, and Georgia and other places and playing playing a lottery. You got the casinos down there. What, what's going on?
1: I personally don't take part in anything like that. Um, but – it, it seems like something politically that folks have kind of been averse to in this state. Like, it seems like something that they've tried to avoid, like not vote on it or it, just trying to avoid it altogether, because I, I think there are convincing arguments from uh, from people on both sides. And you're hitting the point that everybody on the side that wants to see it passed you're hitting on the point, all the points that they make, which is, you know is why so many people are, I think, are averse to it. On the other end,
3: well, there's there's one thing that I'll I'll say on this. Whenever I was in high school, we went and played a football game at Callaway, and I'm from Alabama. And our coach looked at us and looked around and said, "It's a nice school, isn't it, man? It's a nice school." This is what happens when you have the lottery funding your schools and helping out. And I think, and that's the always the perspective I've looked from. It is a lot of that goes into the school systems and the hope scholarship that they have in Georgia and things like that. It it is unfortunate that Alabama doesn't have that. At least from my perspective, they don't have that benefit
2: from it.
5: Yeah, you're right about that. I I, I just never really understood that. I had a friend of mine that told me that uh, you know, a lot of cas- the casinos are lobbying lobbying, you know, to keep that from happening. Also, because you know, it might be taking some revenue away from them. So you never know.
1: Man, dog, we uh we appreciate you hopping on the line with us, my man. I hope you uh hope you call back sometime soon.
5: I will, guys. Appreciate it. Y'all have a good
1: one. You too. That was Bama Dog on the line with us. And the phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. If you want to call in and talk to us as well. Levi, you went to Beulah. What were y'all playing Callaway for? This isn't was, that a... Oh, this
3: was when we were younger. That was when we were... I think that was JV football when we played at Callaway. It was just like a... Still? It was the, Yeah. I mean, it's... Isn't that a pretty big, like,
1: population difference?
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we played in basketball we were playing tournaments at auburn uh, at auburn high school you know my freshman sure, year that so. makes a
1: little bit more sense yeah that's yeah, fair you're talking about basketball because that was that would be why you were at beulah right or or, or not beulah that would be why you were at callaway or were you at callaway for football
3: we were at callaway for football oh yeah. wow that's i mean it, again it was younger it was younger league where it's not as the the population and the athletic difference isn't that much but i do remember the coach looking at us and telling us that and i, and I that was at a young age i realized oh I get that. I understand that. And Bama Dog hit on that good point, too, where every state around Alabama has a lottery and everybody takes their money. Again, I live growing up in Beulah up there close to Valley, people would drive to West Point to do things like that. And I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not here making a stance. I'm just throwing out. Yeah, you're uh,
1: not advocating either or. You're just presenting the arguments.
3: Yeah, I'm not advocating either way. I want to make that clear. I am just strictly throwing out the arguments that are present with that situation.
1: Man, I love talking about high school sports, and we're going to talk a lot about high school sports, oh, yeah. you know, during football season and everything. I love it. Nothing like high school football, and I'm looking forward to those times. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi
1: Fitzwater on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. About 30 minutes from the end of our show today, we'll have the drive with Bill Cameron following us as we do every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Following on the line. Bill and Dan will take your calls, diving into all of the latest and hottest stuff going on in Auburn Athletics and beyond. Once again, from 4 to 6 p.m., The Drive with Bill Cameron. I wonder if they'll talk any about women's basketball news that has happened today. Auburn moving on from Coach Flo. First time we've mentioned it today. Auburn deciding to to get away from Coach Flo, who's been at the program for quite some time here. But there was some success midway through her tenure. She had Auburn in back-to-back tournament appearances. as like an eight seed. But now things have gone pretty sideways at the end and a uh, winless SEC season this year for Auburn women's basketball.
3: I mean, they dropped, what, their last 17 games, if I'm not mistaken, overall, and they definitely went winless in conference. It was something around those, around that. And it's, it's definitely I, – I don't want to make anything, but when you look at the SEC play throughout the tenure of coach flow, 48-96. It's understandable why Auburn made this move if you're looking at that and you want to make some noise and not even just the national nationalscape if you want to make it in conference play if you're looking at the overall conference record that has been presented they lost
1: 17 straight you are correct finished the th- year 5-19
3: overall that means at one point in time you were 5-2 and two, yep. and then you ended up 5-19 and 19. that is that's that's And hard. you hurt
1: for the players in situations like this because there are seniors that put the jersey on for the last time unique thompson and for the last time, you went five and nineteen, and you lost seventeen straight. You couldn't go out on a make, as you said earlier in the show. You had to, you had to remind everybody what you
3: said. You know, I thought it was wise words. So, it's just uh, Levi sitting up and telling high school stories. For t- I'm for here t- for it for today's show. Back when I played basketball, my coach used to always say, "Never You got leave. a Letterman jacket." You never leave. I didn't actually buy one. Uh, I I never actually wanted to buy one. It it would
1: have totally completed this whole high school reminiscing (laughs) living in the good days. I could have
3: just brought it in and put it on. Um, But, yeah, so my old basketball coach used to say, don't leave the court on a miss. So if you're sitting there, if you're practicing free throws, say you set yourself, you're going to take 53 free throws before you leave. You miss your 50th, you don't stop there. You don't want to leave the court off of a miss, and that kind of can transpire into the season. You don't want – if you think the whole season – as practice as the game or what have you don't you don't want to leave on a miss you want to leave on a make you want to leave on a win even if you don't win you want to leave you want to leave out on a high note some way somehow even if you don't get that win and 17 straight losses that's not a win and you and you it's hard to hold your head high when you leave or when you get out of that season dropping 17 straight going winless in conference play
1: this isn't a sport I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Look, this is not a sport at Auburn that is um, that people get into that much. This is this is probably one of the the lower. This is on the lower end of the spectrum at Auburn in terms of fan attendance, in terms of fan interest. This is at the lower end of the spectrum. If Auburn's going to take the next step in women's basketball, first of all, look, just being a realist here, folks aren't going to show up for the games unless you're putting a winning product on the floor and even then it's still an uphill battle just being real folks aren't going to show up for the games unless Auburn wins in women's basketball they're going to have to build it without the fan support right now they're just going to have to and women's basketball is a sport that you have to invest a lot into if you're going to be successful because just look at over the years man no other sport has teams that go on 100 game win streaks other than women's basketball. And it's a very top heavy game and the most elite in women's basketball dominate everybody else and nobody else really has a shot at winning a title.
3: That's yeah. I mean that's how it's been. That's
1: which explains why Auburn went on a 17 game losing streak because the teams at the bottom, the teams that are bad, they are, are the worst and they get beat by everybody and they get they get beat handily. I mean, you can look at some of the results this year for Auburn. Auburn lost 76 to 44 to Georgia. They lost. uh, I'm just looking for some other blowouts here. uh, Other blowouts here. Consistently, they're getting beat by double digits. They lost to the best team in the country in South Carolina, at least at the time that they played them. Lost 77 to 58. It wasn't close. Lost 74 to 54 in a return trip to Georgia. Lost 92 to 78 to Alabama. Lost 81 to 68 to Mississippi State. Recently, down the stretch, Florida they pushed them in the SEC tournament. 69-62. Arkansas 74-69. That was a ranked team that they pushed but in between those two games they lose to Tennessee 88 to 54 that happens all too often and Auburn didn't get blown out in every single game that they played this year but it happens all too often in women's basketball that you see the top heavy teams in the country absolutely annihilating everyone else
3: that's and that's the game that that's the game that women's at least at the collegiate level that's what women's basketball is it's a very top heavy league so you got to get the recruits you have to get recruits you have to get a good coach in place too there's there's a there's also a commonality between those teams they have a coach that if and I could be I could be missing something but for the most part the top heavy teams their coaches have been there for a while and they have sustained success because of their coaching staff and their ability to recruit
1: but if you want to see how skewed women's basketball is when you do power five versus group of five teams Look no further than Auburn beating USC upstate in their season opener eighty two to forty one. How's beating somebody by forty
3: one good for anybody? It's not. I mean, especially when you look at that. You beat someone by forty one, but then every but everybody else throughout your league has been consistently beating you this year.
1: You beat Gardner Webb ninety seven to sixty one. Now, of course, Auburn did do that to every Group of Five team that they played. They even lost to a few Group of Five teams. Lost to Stephen F. Austin. Shouldn't say Group of Five. Mid major. We're talking basketball here. I got into yeah, I got mid-major's. into football mode, but you know what I mean. Mid majors. I, I, I knew
3: what you meant when I, when you said Group of Five. I knew it. It. you corrected correct even, me, I mean, man. What am think, I talking about? I didn't even think to correct you because it sounded so natural. Because I'm like, yeah, yeah, Group of Five. I know what he's talking about.
1: But the point still stands. There's a larger talent gap. There's a larger disparity in talent. In women's basketball, than there is in any other sport, I feel like, and that makes the difference in terms of success. Is what makes the difference is recruiting, and right now Auburn just does not have the 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 players to compete in the league that they're in at the moment. They don't even have the players right now to compete with some of the mid majors that they played. That, That to lose to those teams, that's just. That's wild, and so this team's uh, this team's far off from where they want to be at, but they're going to have to build the program without fans' support. And that's just me being a realist. People aren't showing up unless you're winning. They're I mean, not going to.
3: I mean, you saw go go back and look at some of the pictures through the Barbie era of all yeah, uh, of show Auburn basketball. Up for,
1: people didn't show up for men's basketball until they started winning.
3: I to mean, say, they fans, especially at a university that has other teams that are winning or at least competing on a national scale, they're going to support. Those those teams more so than the ones that aren't winning. We saw that with Auburn basketball. Auburn basketball, they look, the the fans did not care about Auburn basketball, at least in my, when I was growing up, you know, through the early like 2000s and whatnot, even into the 2010s. It looked like
1: it did now, man. And and right now it's COVID, you
3: know? (laughs) It looked like it did now. And then Bruce Pearl comes in, he energized the program. Auburn starts winning. And now look at that. There are people who love Auburn. Auburn basketball. You have fans that are just die hard. Like, and are still riding with
1: them right now when and things even, are tough.
3: Even throughout everything, when they beat a, when Auburn beats a team, you see the Twitter trolls going underneath the team's page and tweeting you just lost to Bruce Pearl or you just lost to this and that and posting the memes about it. It's going it's an uphill battle. And I think the standard for the Auburn women's basketball team is it's lower because of the way that their league has shifted. So in Auburn men's basketball the way when Bruce Pearl first got there, you just wanted to compete in your conference. That was kind of what you wanted. And then you started competing in the conference. Then you said, okay, now we want to compete nationally. Then you started doing that. And there's a stepping stone to that. And that's what Auburn women's basketball wants to do right now. First things first, they have to start competing in their conference. Then you want to start looking at, can I compete nationally outside of, you know, the Yukons, the South Carolina, the Baylors, teams like that. And, it's going It it's going to be hard it's going to be hard but if you can bring the right person in you can at least take a step up because the way the program is at least from this year just competing in your conference is the next step you want to take and that's big for what you want to do
1: Alabama basketball a topic that was brought up in our last segment Bama Dog called in and uh, brought up Alabama basketball also brought up Arkansas basketball at the same time and um, talking to, you know I guess on SEC Network they were they were talking about Arkansas uh, becoming a basketball school, which I, I think is, I think they're already kind of a basketball school, first of all. If we're just talking about what, what program has traditionally been one of the better programs on their campus, it's, it's basketball and baseball for sure. Football has been really spotty over the years, and you were doing some research on that too, as well during the break. And you're like, yeah, I mean, outside the the McFadden years, it, modern football said, history yeah, for Arkansas it's McFadden, not looking great.
3: McFadden and Mallett, like those were the years where and they, they were, were com-
1: bumped up close to each other, right next to each other. Yeah, that was, was like that 2000- was mid to that was mid to early 2010. Said,
3: you had your 2006 era with McFadden, and then he left, and around that 2010 plus years with the Mallet, where after were-
1: Houston Nutt and Bobby Petrino, things got ugly
3: and that's yeah that's, they that's are exactly ugly right it. now
1: and it was ugly before then too
3: yeah I don't I don't understand like I get it if you want to look at it historically if I, I could be wrong that prior to you know my knowledge of watching Arkansas football historically that maybe I'm missing something but at least modern age Arkansas was already a basketball and a baseball school
1: Bama Dog brings up a great point about um you know it, it, I don't, he, he said he didn't think that people knew what they were, they're were they talking about when they, when they say someone's becoming a basketball school. Look, Auburn, as great as they've been at basketball recently until this year, they're not a basketball school. No. Alabama, no matter how good Alabama gets at basketball, they will not be a basketball school. They w- something you ask Alabama fans if they, if they had to choose between football or basketball and, and something had time. to get eliminated, something had to get wiped off the face of the earth. I don't care how good they're, basketball did, yeah. is they're, Go- getting, they're getting rid of it gone.
3: it's it, something cataclysmic would have to happen to like you I don't I, think that's a decision that they, I want
1: Alabama fans making Alab- for me personally though because I think Auburn does yeah. have a better chance traditionally beating Alabama in basketball and, and, but
3: Alabama you know, would have to receive the death penalty for football for years and years <laughs> on end and even that might not even that do it matters no, like no they, way. they I'm talking about they'd have to have it indefinitely like for the just the Alabama football fan
1: base is one of the largest fan bases in the United States.
3: I mean, and it spans over, you know, it's not like a recent thing where, like, you have, say, in a G5 comparison where you have Boise State fans where they had just recently found a lot of success. Alabama's success spans throughout college football's history. That's it, That spans decades. That's people who grew up in the 70s they don't have
1: a bad decade Tennessee's no. over here like with six losing seasons this past decade Alabama doesn't have a decade like no.
3: that no I mean even uh, Auburn th- fans are trying to still forget the 1970s there are reason that there are so many Alabama fans who are also Dallas Cowboys fans they grew up in those six, the 70s era where they were watching you know they grew up watching good teams for these two they they grew up watching winners and they decided let's let's lump all these winners together and that's just Alabama's history there would there there's no chance that they could flip to a basketball school. It's just never gonna happen. Football is king there. It will be, it always will be.
1: Auburn would have to be horrible at football consistently for but them to become a basketball school. They would school.
3: have to become Vanderbilt in their con- like they right. would have to become Vanderbilt consistently. Like I'm talking about and this right. would, this effect wouldn't it would take a decade at least of Auburn playing at the level of Vanderbilt for them to shift to a basketball school and then the basketball would still have to have continued success
1: and what it means to be a basketball school is that your fan base wants that sport like wants to talk about that sport pretty much year round like that that is it like whatever sports you are that school maybe even excluding baseball I don't think it's more about what the team is best at consistently but that does drive it a little bit because that would drive fan interest I'm sure because people want to root for a winner but I think it's more about fan interest and whether or not it's a basketball school. Not necessarily the results that are happening because folks in Auburn, let's just be real, people are still talking about football right now. We're talking about football. Everybody's talking about football. People
3: people would rather talk about football. Oh, yeah. People would rather, and and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think people would rather talk about football than basketball even when Auburn was winning. This is a little bit different because it has been a down year. But people still want to call and talk about football. People still want to. People don't get nearly as mad about Auburn basketball stuff
1: as they do about Auburn football you, stuff. You know, you want to see life life. you
3: want to see people come unglued
1: on other people. You want to see relationships ruined. Just, at, just start talking. To, just get into football conversations with
3: folks, especially in the South down here. Start talking. About, start talking team. Vanderbilt. about Vanderbilt. Yeah, start talking about SEC football, and you will see people come unglued as you just said
1: Vanderbilt's the the person of the conversation like I, I I really don't care about sports that much.
3: they're the smart guy they're I, the, I the, don't care the, about sports that yeah. so we we just like baseball that's it
1: I was like you Neanderthals you still care about still care about sport still care about football and I'm over here doing the one
3: that'll get me rich at the end of the day <laughs> in baseball
1: <laughs> they, well yeah that's right <laughs> we'll be back with more of on the line we'll be wrapping up the show on the other side of this break Wrapping up on the line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the show. Before we wrap up the show, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight hey everybody it's noah gardner with what's on tonight only 16 bots remain on this season of battle bots a new episode is on discovery at 7 a 1988 classic with eddie murphy and coming to america on paramount at 7:25. a pair of action thrillers are on sci-fi limitless at six and john wick at eight watch out for the boogeyman if you want to get scared tonight it is on hbo2 at 5 40. thursday college basketball begins with two games at six rivals collide between michigan state at number two, Michigan on ESPN. And on ESPN2, it'll be number 17, Oklahoma State at number three, Baylor. We've got three games at 8 p.m., Nebraska at the fifth-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes on Big Ten Network. Over on ESPN, it'll be the Red River Rivalry with number 15, Texas at number 16, Oklahoma. In the Pac-12, Arizona State is at newly ranked number 24, Colorado on ESPN2. One NBA game is on TNT. The Miami Heat are at the New Orleans Pelicans on at 7.30. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. We got about five minutes left in this afternoon's edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron will be following Gus at the top of the hour at 4 p.m. as they do every weekday from 4 to 6. So make sure you check out Bill and Dan every weekday from 4 to 6 here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're going to wrap up the show here with some Auburn baseball conversation. We preview this Boston College series a bit, and we'll talk it a lot more tomorrow once we've got some probables and everything those uh, – I think we've got some probables today. I saw some game notes sent out earlier. I got that into my inbox on my email, but uh, we'll, we'll talk more in depth that tomorrow, you know, when we've actually got, you know, baseball happening tomorrow. And we typically will reserve our Fridays for really breaking down some of these series. But I want to talk about this auburn Boston College series from a more holistic sense a top 25 matchup. It just depends on what polls you're looking at when it comes to baseball because there's like four or five and your program on their website it's is going, going to, to choose the highest ranked poll for yep. your team. So. The one
3: that benefits you the best.
1: So right now what when I'm, when I'm pretty much seeing is like 18 Boston College, 22 Auburn. That's kind of what you're looking at right now. And and then you
3: look over at d1baseball.com and Auburn's not ranked in the top 25.
1: I'm, I would agree with that. I don't think Auburn's a top 25 baseball team right now. Maybe think, I'm being
3: harsh. I think they have the talent to do so. It's just right now where it currently sits at what was today's date? March the 4th. At March the 4th at 3.53 Central Standard Time, I don't think Auburn is a top 25
1: team. Auburn left the Round Rock Classic, not a top 25 team for me. And do1baseball.com on is one of the best sources out there for baseball. We had Aaron Fit on our show back uh january february yes i think it was early february we had him on the show talking some baseball with us uh kind of priming us for this auburn baseball season and i would agree with the fact that they they are not a top 25 team coming out of that round rock classic because of the way they lost some of those games the general inconsistency i don't know really what auburn's identity is at right now but with that being said auburn could leave this weekend being a top 25 team and, and and I don't think Auburn's that far from being a top 25 team I really don't it could only be one week of improvement necessary and needed and for them cleaning some stuff up against Boston College this weekend for me to say all right they took two out of three Auburn takes two out of three against Boston College this weekend I'll be like yeah they're like 24
3: 25 I mean that would be good yeah if they can take two out of three I would think they're around and it also depends on how they look in those games are they just absolutely dominant maybe a little bit higher. If it's you know just a good close game where you feel like these two teams are pretty even throughout those games, then yeah, I mean I think that's pretty fair to say that that's where they'll Boston end up. Boston College at. is a
1: good baseball team. I actually really team. don't care how it, how it gets done. Win the series this weekend, if you you've earned my respect. Oh, I'm you about, Lose the series, I still don't have much respect for this for this team right now.
3: I'm talking about just from a ranking perspective. If they go out and just absolutely can dominate Boston College two out of three games, then I think that you're you're feeling a little bit more confident in where they sit in the top twenty five. But if they go out, I'm I'm with you though. They go out and they play well. It doesn't.
2: I don't you, care you win if you look bad
3: and you want two out you, of three games. You win in extras. You win in extras. Both games. Don't care if you get two wins this weekend. I'm impressed. That is a good Boston College team that you won this series over.
1: I just want to know you can do it with consistency. So even if they look bad Mm -hmm. this weekend, that's still a box that they'll need to check moving forward into SEC play because Auburn doesn't play another good team in the non-conference schedule before they get to SEC play. But Auburn folks probably think I'm being really hard on Auburn baseball right now. But I credit Omaha and that run that year. They got hot. They got their mojo. They were doing things that year well above their season average in the postseason and across the entire year, I mean, Auburn almost didn't make the NCAA tournament that season. And then last year, Auburn was 13 5, playing a pretty bad non conference schedule, got swept by UCF, lost a couple of midweek games that they should have lost. I'm, I'm, you know, even I thought they lost worse midweek games than Wofford because Wofford is a possible tournament team Wa- when it comes Wofford down to just it at like the end Wofford's of
3: the Wofford's the easy one to throw. Like Wofford, it's, it's the name. Because it was name. the last game. It's the name. It's the name Wofford. The I name. Think it Wofford was their last game un-
1: when everything shut down.
3: I, I'm pretty sure that was also just the name Wofford itself. It's the, it's the name. Is how it sounds. It just doesn't sound intimidating. So people may think I'm being hard, but like more often than not,
1: over the last couple of years, we've seen a more inconsistent brand of baseball with Auburn across the board and that's not to say they're a bad baseball team i'm not i'm just saying i don't think super regional or omaha is the norm yet for this team or is even like the projection for this team yet i think i think they're regional at best at the moment and they've really got to trend upwards if they're going to do some damage this year with a senior-laden team but that does it for another edition of on the line we'll be back tomorrow wrapping up your week on a friday the drive with bill cameron following us we'll see you tomorrow everybody you know where to find us